You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. We are back in school. The holidays are behind us. We're gearing up for a major fundraiser. I am busy, and life is great. And now that we're back to the beginning, we talked about the first Torah portion last week, Noah, the flood. we got lots of stuff to talk about, lots of stories to talk about, and hopefully some really, really fantastic lessons. Let's see. Let's start. So I believe today is the yard site of Rav Simcha Wasman. Probably his name is not familiar to most of you. His father was a great rabbi in Europe, in Baranovich, a place in Poland. Um, he had a school. Actually, his father's stories, he'd come back to America, was doing fundraising. World War II broke out, and people begged him to stay, and he said, I'm going back with my school, and he went back. But his son um, must not have been there. I don't remember all the details on that. But his son, Rav Simcha, um, was in America. And unfortunately, his son um, married but never had children. So he was a brilliant man, could have had a huge Talmudic academy, but instead he moved to different cities, I'm not going to say towns, to cities, and he helped to build up the Jewish education in these cities. He was in Detroit for many years um, after he built up, probably then it was Beis Yehuda. I'm not sure if it, was that, if it had that title at that point, but he built up uh, Beis Yehuda, he got it off the ground. Um, then he moved to L.A. to do the same thing in L.A. to build up their educational system, their Jewish educational system. At one point, his wife was still in Detroit. He wanted his wife to come with him to L.A. She said, I still have things to do here. Um, well, eventually, I'll come out and join you. Eventually, she did. So um, a very beautiful story that, uh, that I read this week. So he was in L.A., and he was a busy man, busy in education. At times, he would have to fly around the country. And um, a man came over to him, somebody he had a very good relationship with. And the man says, you know, Rabbi, I'm making a bar mitzvah this week. Um, I hope you'll be able to come. So Rabbi says to him, you know, I really, I feel terrible. I will not be able to attend your son's bar mitzvah. I'm very sorry. I wish. I really wanted to. Um, but tell me. What are you serving at the Kiddush? And the man says, we'll have cake, and we'll have herring, and we'll have schnapps, and we'll have soda, and we'll have uh, whatever. He's listing off. And as he finishes the list, Rabbi Wasserman says, no chalant? For those who do not know, chalant is a very Jewish uh, Shabbos dish. Um, I don't even know. It's, like it's like a stew. It'll have potatoes and beans and barley and um, nowadays almost everybody has meat. In Israel when people were poor they would put in chicken 
The purpose behind Chalent was that the rabbi said you're supposed to have something hot by day. So this was something that without having a fire going, you could cook it before Shabbos and you could put it in some type of oven that was not going to be fired anymore. And it's whatever the fire was in, you'd let it burn out. You'd sweep it out, but the walls of the oven would hold in the heat. It was something that you were able to keep hot even into the next day. So Wasman says, you must have chalent. So the guy says, I never have chalent. Wasman says, do me a favor. You're making a, a, a bar mitzvah. It's appropriate that you have chalent. The guy says, fine. So at the bar mitzvah party, so the maid to this family, who no one would serve, but she was so close to the family and she was so involved, it was the family wanted to like show their appreciation. They said, you know, today you're not serving. Today you're going to sit with the family as an honored guest. She said, thank you very much. She sits with the family, and when the chalent comes out, she's smelling it. She says, you know, this smell, and if you've ever been in a house with chalent, it has a, generally speaking, it has a very particular smell. Just this kind of stew is very recognizable. I recognize this. What is it? She didn't even know what it was, because this family never served chalent. So it was way back in her memory, but hadn't smelled it for years. I explained to her, it's chalent, it's a Jewish food, the rabbi said, we should have it a kiddush. And she was, she was thinking and thinking, somewhere deep in her memory is this chalent, way, way back. But she was raised Christian. It didn't really make sense to her. And she's asking, are you sure it's Jewish? There's no one else would have it. I was raised a Christian. It doesn't make sense. So she was so, so perturbed about her feelings she decided that she would fly back to her family in Poland and research what's going on. She flies back to Poland, and she says to her family, you know, I, I just need to know. I know you raised me, and I love you, and you're my parents, and no one will replace you, but I, 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 I was by a kiddush this week, and I smelled chalent, and we never ate this kind of food. And I just wonder, why is this in my memory? So they said to her, because you're Jewish. She said, I can't be Jewish. You're my parents. You, you're, you're Christians. We're not, we're not Jewish. She says, no, no, we, your parents, are not Jewish, but you are. You see, the beginning of World War II, um, when the Nazis invaded and people realized that the Jews were getting rounded up and killed, so many people would take their children, infants, young children, and they'd bring them to monasteries, they'd bring them to Christian neighbors, and they'd beg and plead, take care of our kid, Here's money. Um, if we don't come back, give them to somebody Jewish. Let them know they're Jewish. And families risk their lives. If they would have been caught, they could have gotten killed. But families risk their lives to take care of these Jewish children. But many times, if no family member came back, and it could have been six, seven, eight years, the child is part of the family, raised Christian, they, they weren't looking to go return the child to somebody Jewish. There's multiple stories about this. So they told her, they said, you were such a child. We never told you. It wasn't important to us. And uh, But it happens to be you're Jewish. So there becomes just a fascinating story with a very special person whose yard site is today. It's always good to say her stories. Just a fascinating story about, for whatever reason, why ever Rabbi Wasserman decided, I can't imagine Rabbi Wasserman thought they should have children so that they would find out if somebody there is Jewish. That's ridiculous. He was saying it because you should have nice chalent at your kiddush. Mind you, I made it by mitzvah. I didn't have chalent. But that's fine. I have chalent every week. 
But but he made this suggestion, and look what happened for this amazing suggestion. Okay. So we have this week's Torah portion. Torah portion starts out with a very interesting verse. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was perfect in his generation. First of all, if it's me, I wouldn't mind that a, a full verse in the Torah is being used to say that I am a righteous, special individual. I mean, come on. We study it with children. We study it with adults. We go over this Torah portion every year. You can't ask for anything better. Um, but my first question really was, I mean, again, it's beautiful. The accolades, it's beautiful. Who cares? And I was, the world's being destroyed, right? God is going to save a family. So who cares? Noah's righteous. Noah's not righteous. Who cares? So it must be, by the way, that it doesn't work that way. It's not that God has to save somebody so the world will continue. It's not true. If the entire world has to be wiped out, God will wipe out the whole world and start again, if he so chooses. If he chooses not, then he won't restart the world. So if he's going to save somebody, that somebody has to be deserving. That somebody has to be superstar. That somebody has to be massively righteous, and therefore Noah and his family know is righteous, so only because he's righteous does he deserve to be saved. So Rabbi Jonathan Sachs points out something fascinating, and it's also part of this verse, that Noah was righteous, but he's not Abraham, and he's not Moses. What does that mean? Meaning that he wasn't a leader. He was, he was very righteous, but he wasn't the Abraham running around trying to tell people about God. He wasn't Moses sticking out his neck to protect the Jewish people and lead the Jewish people. Noah wasn't that kind of leader. He was saved because he was very righteous. But he doesn't save the world. Now, it's interesting. The question is, we, in other words, Noah did not run around trying to save the world. God says, the world's about to be destroyed, or however much time Noah had to build the Teva, it says 120 years. But whatever amount of time you want it to be, so Noah has to build an ark, and then the floods will come and Noah will be saved. He didn't run around the world telling people, repent, it's going to be terrible. He just took care of himself, which is very, very interesting. right? He just took care of himself. He did not look to run around to, um, to, help, to help the rest of the world. So the question is, why? Why not? I mean, you, you, you see, it's a rotten world. So the simplest answer has to be that Noah believed, and probably rightfully so that no one was going to listen to him. Because when people came and said, Noah, what are you doing over here? You're building this humongous boat in your backyard. There's no water for a hundred miles from here. Like, how exactly are you going to transport your boat? So Noah says, I don't have to transport my boat. God is bringing a flood to the world. I'll be safe inside. Okay, so the world heard about the flood and the message spread and people talked about that. There's no question that the world knew there was going to be a flood. But Noah wasn't running around trying to save people. He asked the question, I'll tell you. And of course, uh, the message spread. But we want to know why didn't Noah tell anybody? Why did he not? Why was he not Abraham? Why was he not Moses going around trying to help people? Why? Yeah, it's personality, but that's really not going to be a good enough answer. So either 
he knew no one would listen, which the Talmud talks about. Even if you know that the person's not going to listen, you're still responsible to say something. You have to stick up for God. God doesn't need your help, but you have to stick up for God. So if someone's not going to listen, it doesn't matter. You still have to tell them they're doing something wrong. Noah felt they're not going to listen anyways. So I'm not saying that's one answer. There's a second answer, which is very interesting. And that is Noah felt the world was so rotten that if he didn't insulate himself, if he didn't take care of himself and his family, he wouldn't be righteous anymore. The only way he could stay righteous was to insulate himself. And that is how some people are. And by the way, um, a lot of people believe in that theory very much. We insulate our children. We put them in schools where we believe they're safe, where they'll be healthy, they'll be able to study. There's religious leaders there. We do that because we want to protect our children. We don't say, well, you know, I'm going to let my child go uh, hang out with criminals, and if he's a good kid, he'll be good anyways. It's not true. Right? So that idea of insulation is for sure true with children. Noah's doing it as an adult. Noah doesn't feel as righteous as he is, but he does not feel that he has the wherewithal to withstand what was going on during that generation. Which again becomes interesting, because when you read the verse, the verse says Noah's righteous and, and, and perfect in his generation. Could be in another generation he wouldn't have been anything special. Could be he would have been even better. But there's actually two sides of the coin in the debate of this really interesting verse. So uh, I jotted myself a note. There's a Yiddish phrase that people like to say. It's called a tzaddik in pelts. Pelts is like a, either pelts a coat. Pelts is also the word they use like from the word pelt, right? When you have a fur pelt, right? So the word pelt is a very similar word. It probably... Um, whatever in the in language, it probably has the same uh, source. But there's two ways to be righteous. I could be righteous because you know it's by chesedim when they talk about being righteous. Righteous is a fire. Righteous is hot. Righteous is is an exuberance. But there's a there's a fire burning inside the person. So how do I keep myself warm from the world at large? So you could cover yourself in a coat. And you keep all that beautiful heat inside, but you're not sharing it with anybody. Or you can build a fire. If you build a fire, then not only are you warm, but you're warming other people with that same fire. So Noah, Noah was the kind of righteous individual that he kept himself warm, but he didn't share the warmth. And we come from Abraham, come from... We, we had Moses, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those were people that shared. Abraham is the classic example, right? He ran around sharing that warmth. I've been reading some books lately about some fascinating personalities. Uh, Mayor Shapiro, great book by Art Scroll. Somebody who shared his warmth, and he was responsible for, they don't even know. How many people became religious because of him, got, got to touch, feel, what the religion was, what Torah was, people would coming, brilliant people, Harvard, Yale, coming to Israel, backpacking the world before they went into business. He connected to these people because he shared his warmth. But there's multiple stories of multiple people who, they weren't, re- you know, it's 
first of all, we don't read the stories of the guy who just keeps himself uh, warm because there's no, there's nothing to talk about. You kept yourself warm. You're very righteous, but you're not part of this world because you're in your corner. We never see you. We never know you. You're a great person, but not much to write a book about because we, you had nothing to share. Which, on and off topic, which is for another day, um, but is also something to think about, and that is that if you look at the greatest people in the Bible, they weren't perfect, right? The perfect people we have nothing to do with because there's nothing to learn from them. They sat in their corner, they were perfect, and nothing to do with me. But everybody else, all the way down the line, all had issues. Something went wrong, they did something wrong, they made mistakes, they corrected their mistakes, they learned from their mistakes. King David, Moses, Aaron, all over we find even our greatest leaders um, made mistakes. And we like when our leaders make mistakes. Not because ha, they also make mistakes. That's silly. We like when they make mistakes because we learn from the fact that look how great they could become and they became, even with mistakes. Some people, they make a mistake. They think life is over. Life is not over from a mistake. We learn from our mistakes. We move on from our mistakes. Okay. So... Um, what what was happening in the world at the time that was so terrible that people, that the world had to be destroyed? So for sure we knew they did all the capital crimes. They murdered, they did idol worship, um, they married ladies they weren't allowed to marry. That's for sure. But that didn't seal the deal. So they were righteous, they are bad guys, okay. But they were thieves. And they were thieves that were so bad it, it was so bad that you couldn't have a store because everybody came in and, you know, took a little here, took a little there. Like, sometimes I watch around, look in the news. Something happened in Chicago recently. How exactly do you have a store if people can just walk in during the day, a mob can walk in, start taking things and run? You cannot have a store. And as what would be the point of having a store where everybody could run in, take stuff, run out? You're not making a store so people could steal merchandise. You might as well close up shop. So that kind of activity, when, there's, when, when they can get away with it, is terrible for the world. That's what was the, the, the final nail in the coffin, as we say, um, for that generation. And again, it's not everywhere here, but when you even see it happening in a few, uh, we'll call it isolated for now, when it happens in certain places, you can't live there. I mean, downtown Detroit has the same issue. And there's, for the most part, there's no grocery stores there because everybody would rob. Then, then you can't live there. So you want the world to be a place where we can all live in and we go be in, in harmony and enjoy each other's company and take care of each other. You've you got to have certain things. Society must have certain things, and thievery is something that society cannot survive with. Therefore, that generation had to be wiped out. So we talked about, we mentioned it to have my... 30 seconds or so here. So they talked about it. So he said it actually took no 120 years. Aye. And there is the music. So since there is the music, we'll just have to get to this interesting piece of information later. So the music's playing, and of course, I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to our production team. We have David and Andy in the back. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah and Emma on Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it. We're gonna 